and helping him to make sure that your heart is engaged fully in him. We started doing this with our children when we, when they were four years old. And um, you say, well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm now 18 or I've got children who are that old. I'm not saying it's too late, but you that have the younger children, could I encourage you, start early in turning their heart to two different things. And we learned this a long time ago when we used to have a Christian school. We would say, I have a whole bunch of elementary school kids filling a room about this size, and I would stand in front of them, and at the end of chapel, I would say, who does your heart belong to? And they would shout, Jesus. Well, how many of you know that's the right answer to that question? And then I'd ask them a second question, who else does your heart belong to? Now, you might think that's counterproductive, but you know what their answer was? And I trained them to do that. Mom and dad. It's so important that we turn our generations to the parents, the, the hearts of the fathers given to the children, the hearts of the children to their fathers. And I think that was my last message when I was here the last time before. So we've spent time investing in that kind of thing, as well as Gail has a CD. The, the DVD you showed, that we showed here is out there, and also some music that both my wife and my daughters have done. They're my favorite singing group, and I'm not prejudiced. Um, all right? And there's 16 songs on there, more than the usual amount, and I think you'll find it incredibly delightful. Okay, we're going to get this whiteboard out, and we're going to have you turn your Bibles, if you got your Bible, to Isaiah 55. Verses 10 and 11. Now, I notice the people that are on my far right over there and the far left might have a little difficulty seeing my little whiteboard. You are free to move around, and I know maybe uh, the place you're sitting is one of those really holy places um, that you, you've you put dibs on. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to move this back just a little bit. I hope I don't mess this up. I'm just trying to create the best possible angle for everybody to see what I'm doing. I think let's just set it up there. I think that's about as far back as we want to go. That's nice, straight up and down. We okay? Okay. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. Many of you are familiar with um, probably the 11th verse, but it's the 10th one we're going to start out with. Um, but first, let's do pray. Let's ask God's help. Lord Jesus, will you please help us? Holy Spirit. You're the one who reveals things to folks. You take mysteries and you start causing them to be open so that we could see them better than ever before. That's my prayer, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of Jesus, will open eyes in this place. We will see what we need to see and that we'll be empowered for godly living for the days ahead. Please, Holy Ghost, make a difference here today. Transform lives, I ask, in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. amen. Verse 10. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and does not return there but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. It shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. The, if you've been a Christian any time at, all, uh, time at all, you have probably are familiar with verse 11. And we, we say to one another in encouragement, we say, well, you know, the word of God does not return void, we'll say. Now, what in the world does that mean? Sometimes it's just so much Christian lingo if we're not careful. Um, we need to know what it means. Now, if verse 11 says, so shall my word be, the next question you have to ask is, so shall my word be like what? That's why I started with verse 10, because 10 actually gives us a natural understanding of what that's about. Thomas Edison, the famous inventor who invented the light bulb, the phonograph, and a few other things that have become obsolete, uh, 
uh, he's, he invented a whole bunch of things. Anybody remember Thomas Edison? You've either read about him. My, my dad's middle name was Edison. I remember being a little kid in the bathroom watching my dad shave and being interested in that event, but also asking him one day, Dad, what's your middle name? He says, it's Edison. And he says, you know who Thomas Edison is. So he gave me a whole education there in the bathroom about Thomas Edison and who he was. And, of course, later on I studied the man. Now, it is said of Thomas Edison that he probably had an analogous mind. Now, when I say analogous, that's kind of a big word for most people, but it's the idea of thinking or responding and reacting to um, to analogies. Your pastor uses analogies. Your famous, your best speaker uses analogies. Your favorite TV or radio preacher uses analogies. Um, because analogies help us understand things that perhaps we didn't understand before. An analogy is a good way to communicate. Uh, Thomas Edison probably had that kind of a mind in that he would spend a great deal of time inventing something. Let me give you an example of the kind of time he would spend inventing something. In an effort to look for the appropriate filament to put inside an electric light bulb. And really, that was really the bottom line of his invention. If he could find the right kind of filament to put inside a vacuum uh, light bulb, then he, will, he would have successfully invented the light bulb. And so he went looking for what it took to put inside there. So his, one of his first steps was to take a spool of cotton thread. He would then cut off about this much out of a spool of cotton thread, put it in a nickel plate, a nickel plate, and put it in an oven. He'd bake it at certain degrees, pull it out, and try to then take it and put it inside between two electric posts and create a light bulb. Now, let me ask you something. How successful do you think that was? It was not. Try to imagine cotton thread in an oven for so many hours, and he did it at different temperatures and for different time amounts. Do you know that he worked on one spool of thread from its beginning to its end in an effort to try to find a way to at least use a little bit of that thread? Now, how much effort is that going to take? Incredible amount of effort. But you know what? He learned so much doing it that it, it actually worked for him in terms of the idea of gathering knowledge. He actually was successful at one point in that experiment of putting a piece of thread successfully inside a light bulb, and it burned for two minutes and then, and then burned out. Okay? So he's the same man, you remember, when asked about genius, because everybody thought Thomas Edison was a genius. After all, he had 1,400 patents to his name. So ask him about genius, and what did he say? Genius is 2%. Inspiration, 98% perspiration. Now, he's the guy that said that because he understood that hard work or the idea of perspiration, giving yourself fully to a matter, was something that was really going to get to the bottom line. It wasn't necessarily genius, though he was incredibly smart. But he thought in analogies because what he would do, he would spend all this time inventing one thing, gather all this knowledge in the process, then he would go over and work on another matter, and he would borrow the knowledge from over here and apply it to here. He didn't go looking for brand new knowledge. He just borrowed old knowledge. And that's what an analogy is. It's old common knowledge that everybody knows something about. 
and he would apply it to another area, and he would invent something brand new all over again, creating the 1,400 patents. Jesus also thought in analogies. Remember, he would bring up subjects like seeds, farming practices, lost coins, lost sheep. Um, what else? Mustard seeds. Um, leaven, cooking practices. Now, were those deep subjects? No. He would bring up those subjects, use them as a place for common knowledge, and his whole crowd was doing this. Yeah, I know what leaven's about. I know what it's like to lose a sheep. I know what it's like to plant a seed. He had everybody on his side, and then he would tell them something about the kingdom of God in relationship to that, and they would walk away from a time with Jesus saying, you know, I think I know something about the kingdom of God that perhaps I didn't know before. But what did Jesus do? Come to the crowd and say, you bunch of ignoramuses, don't you know anything about the kingdom of God? You're a bunch of Jews. You ought to know something. Was that his attitude? No. He, he actually knew they didn't know anything much about the kingdom of God. They thought the Messiah would be somebody who would just come along and knock the Romans in the head and take over. Remember, it was the Romans who were occupying the land at the time. They thought the kingdom of God was something political or military, but, it, but they weren't even close. So instead of Jesus rebuking that generation or the crowds he was talking to, what did he do? He just started with common knowledge, seeds and leaven and yeast and cooking practices and farming practices and lost coins. He could have had anybody in the audience stand up and say, tell me about anything you've lost recently. They could have given a seminar on what people lose. How many of you lost a few things in your life? You could write a book on things you've lost. See, see that, but see, that's just the point. Jesus didn't start with things they didn't know. He started with things they did know. And that made them feel comfortable. And, 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 and at that level of comfort, he then would take them into areas of mystery and help them understand that the kingdom of God is like leaven hidden in three measures of meal. And, he, and you could understand things about that. He starts talking to you about the word of God is like seed planted on different kinds of ground. And you would walk away thinking, you know, I think I know something about God's kingdom and God's ways and God's word that I didn't know before. But Jesus started by connecting you with common knowledge. Okay, as a matter of fact, if you know anything about the kingdom of God as a, as a Christian in this age, you, the reason you know anything about it is because you've connected to common knowledge that's right there in your own Bible. Now, what I want you to do right now is connect you to common knowledge of verse 10. Do you think verse 10 is common knowledge? For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and does not return but waters the earth and makes it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to, either, to the eater. Is that, is that relatively common? Happens every day, all the time. We're dependent on it happening every day, all the time. Farmers got to have it happen. No, not just farmers. Everybody has to happen. This doesn't happen. You don't eat. Right? But it happens every day, all the time. It's common. It's just generic. It's everybody knows that that's the truth. But what I want to do is dig just a little deeper into verse 10 and give you kind of a scientific look at verse 10. So I'll begin drawing. Um, I'll try to also say what I'm drawing as well as do it. And what I'm doing, I'm going to draw a cloud up here because that's where rain begins, does it not? And it falls to the earth. And I'm going to draw an earth here, and I'm going to draw a plant on it. Please do not 
tell Pastor Allen about my artistic abilities. They're not that great. But the rain comes down and goes to the earth, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and then what happens to the plants? What do they do? They drink that water up into themselves through their roots and their root hairs. There's literally a microscopic hairs or hair on plants that they use to drink in water. They drink it in in liquid form, and much of it turns into a water vapor. Uh, a lot of it is liquid, but most of it is vapor. Do you know where all the vapor goes? It goes specifically into the leaves. And I'm drawing a leaf here. It goes into the leaf. And if you look at a leaf, especially in, in, in season, you look at a leaf, it is literally packed with water. Literally packed with water liquid, mostly water vapor. So that you cannot get a, another molecule of water inside it. It won't fit. As long as there's water in the ground for it to drink, there's no room for water, any more water in there. Now, everybody knows that there's two sides to every leaf. That would be the shiny side on top. Everybody following me? Now, by the way, you that are now having mental blocks because you think I just went back to your, to your biology and botany classes in high school and college, and you got C's and D's, I'm in that category, I assure you. I didn't do well in the sciences. But when I saw this, I got excited about it. And before this is all said and done, you're going to be excited about at least this part of science. Okay? Now, so get all the mental blocks off because there's two sides to every leaf. The top side is called the cuticle or the shiny side. Just remember the shiny side. And then the underside is kind of a dull green color. Everybody with me on that? And the dull green color is called the stomatal or the stomata side of the leaf. And the reason it is called stomata is because it has literally thousands of stomata, little openings, I said thousands per leaf. Not, a, not hundreds, thousands per leaf. The bigger the leaf, the more stomata. Little openings are on the stomata, and so that what happens is when the sun shines, here's the sun shining on the leaf, that what happens is, and by the way, the singular for um, stomata, that's the plural, is stoma. And just now, you can't see it very well perhaps, but I just drew a microscopic stoma. And it really is microscopic. You cannot see it without a microscope. I saw this in a botany class in college many years ago. I know, I know it because I saw it. We took a little leaf. We took a little um, razor blade cut off a little piece, put it under a microscope, and this is what one of the thousand looked like on a leaf. It's a little opening so that when the sun shines on the plant, these two little dots that I drew on the left and on the right, those are called guard cells. What happens is the sun shines on them, and they begin to swell and create a pinching effect, and the stoma opens. When the stoma opens, the water vapor that's there goes someplace. It leaves. It floats away. Where does it go? Back into the clouds, back into the air, and eventually can re be recondensed in the form of rain or snow. Now, have I explained? <clears throat> well, wait a minute. I got, I got to say one more thing. When the stoma opens, something comes in. Something goes into the plant. And I'll tell you what it is. It's CO2. Anybody know what that stands for? 
carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide goes into the plant. It mixes with the light of the sun and with that green stuff in a plant, which is called, oh, so this is common knowledge to most people in the room. You know a little bit about this, don't you? Because you did kind of pay attention in science class a little bit. Okay, great. So carbon dioxide mixes with light and chlorophyll, and a process begins called photosynthesis. Very good. This is fun, isn't it? Nobody, not everybody said amen to that, but anyway, um, photosynthesis happens. Now, what does photosynthesis do? It creates a process where glucose is produced and feeds the plant so that it grows and so that it produces the fruit or the beauty that it's supposed to produce. Okay? And by the way, there is a botanical term for that. It's called transpiration. It's the process of water evaporating through plants. Transpiration is what this whole process is called. But by the way, on the side is that also when water vapor comes out and goes back into the heavens, something else also comes out, O2, which is oxygen. Um, Plants breathe in, if you will, carbon dioxide, but they breathe out oxygen. When you breathe in the many gases that are in the air, your lungs keep what? They keep the oxygen But when they breathe out, they breathe out everything else, most of which is carbon dioxide. All right? So you and the plants are good buddies, right? Because you need each other really bad. They they need what you're breathing out, and you need what they're breathing out. So oxygen blesses mankind. But when this is verse 10, ladies and gentlemen. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and does not return, but waters the earth, makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. This is common knowledge. Many years ago, when I was 11 years old, my dad says, let's go paint the two-car garage. And when you're 11 years old, you're not excited about painting anything. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Your character is immediately challenged. Your level of diligence, your, your level of obedience to do what your dad needs done is just not there. And it wasn't there for me. I wasn't totally rebellious. But, but when dad starts delivering you the, the scraper and the wire brush... The fun has stopped right there. Okay, now I can slop paint on a wall, but but wire brush and scraper, no, that's no fun. But that's what he handed me, and he also handed me the paint, the paint brush, and the paint roller. He says, okay, let's go to town. And, of course, he helped me, but I was doing my thing, and I was not necessarily responding the best as an 11-year-old to the, to the project at hand. Well, on the outside of the garage, near the bottom of the garage, on the out-of-doors, is plants, grass, and in my community in Illinois where I was raised are peony bushes. Anybody know what a peony bush is? Uh, somebody will say, some people will say it really fast and say penny bushes. It'll sound like penny, but it's P-E-O-N-Y, I think. And uh, a peony bush is a flowering bush that comes up every year, and a beautiful flower, beautiful set of flowers comes up on that bush in the spring of every year. Like right about now, they're probably just getting ready to bud in the spring up in the north mostly. I've not really seen any in Texas. Anybody got any in your yard? I'll come over and see them. Okay, no, you don't. So I see there's not much here. But what happens is I was this 11-year-old boy, and this penny bush in the spring of the year was in, my, it was in the way of my project. I had a roller, and I had a left arm, but it didn't want to work. You know, like, you know, take the penny bush and move the, the, 
branches out of the way and use the roller to paint the garage. I just didn't, I was just kind of this lazy little 11-year-old, and what did I do? I used the paint roller to paint both the garage wall and the peony bush that was in my way. I painted both. Now, what did I do to the peony bush when I painted it? Now, did it just fall over dead right there when I, when I painted it? No. That, literally, at least that portion of the peony bush that I painted, I glued its stomata shut. That's what was, that was what would kill it, or that was what would stop the bloom from coming to that part of the peony bush, was I glued its stomata shut. I stopped the water from coming out. Now, what do we have a picture of in that? We have a picture of a of water inside a plant, and it wasn't short on water. I didn't take the water out of it. I just prevented the water from exiting. This is important because then this is a picture of a plant full of water and dying. Listen closely. This is a picture of water, pardon me, a plant full of water and dying. That'll be important to the point I'm about to make in verse 11. Uh, could somebody hand me a Kleenex, and I'm going to erase this. I told Greg that I had a, an eraser, and I'm sorry. I looked in my briefcase, and it just wasn't there. So we'll use these Kleenexes. Thank you. Verse 11 then says, So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. That's verse 11, and that is also the spiritual side of what I'm going to teach you this morning. I've already caught you up on the common knowledge. Now I'm going to catch you up on the spiritual dynamics. Okay, is everybody with me? All right. How many of you believe that water is likened to the Word of God? What am I doing? I'm creating an analogy for you. Does that, does that analogy exist in the Bible? See, I don't want to just make up an analogy. I want to find one that's biblically based. So is water likened unto the word of God? Yes, it is. As a matter of fact, in this very verse, it is. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. What's he likening it unto? He's likening it unto water. Remember over in Ephesians chapter 5? It says a husband is supposed to wash his wife with the what? The water of the word. Okay, so where does God's word originate? It originates in heaven with God. Even Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God sends his word where? He sends it to the earth. So I'm going to draw another earth here, except this time I'm going to draw people on here, men and women alike, because they are the ones who do what? Drink the word of God in. It must be drunk in by us. We drink it in like the plants do, don't we? Don't we? Now, this perhaps is where it kind of breaks down. And I haven't even started drawing my second picture really well. But this is kind of where it breaks down. Now, I know there's, we all have our times of, you know, we're not as disciplined to be in the Word, and, and I, I know we're human, okay? And I'm not here to condemn anybody, but I am here to challenge everybody in the room that 
that we are to drink in the water of God's word. Why? Because we're the plants. Now, but let's look for some other, another analogy. Are we plants? Isaiah says we are. I think it's chapter 60 or 61. It says, you are the plantings of the Lord. On a family basis, do you know, it's either Psalm 127 or 128. It says, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. That's from those verses there. Uh, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. His leaf also shall not wither. His what? His leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. When he would talk about evil people, he called them weeds. Is that a plant? Evil people are weeds or tares. And then when he talked about coming for people at the end times and bringing them to himself, he called it a harvest, indicating more plants. So am I wrong to make the analogy that people are like plants? It's like it's un, it's, it's like you can't get, a, get, get go in another direction at all. That is indeed what we are. We are the plantings of the Lord, and we are drinking in the water of his word. Or at least we should. We should be drinking in, and not just for knowledge's sake. Though knowledge is important, we should be drinking it in, and then ask, God, ask God's Holy Spirit to make all the difference in the world with those words that are at work in our lives. But where does that water go? Where does that water go that you drink in? Well, it goes to your heart, and I'm going to draw a heart here, signifying the idea of your spirit. It goes into your heart, and then Jesus said a very interesting thing, trying to get people's attention. He said that out of the abundance of the heart, the what? The mouth speaks. I drew the mouth here with a tongue, because I remember another verse, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. The idea of heart and tongue is all through the Bible. They're connected. It's like you can't get them unconnected. Matter of fact, Psalms, David said, um, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. There's that connection. Romans 10, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Mouth and heart are vitally connected. Your mouth is kind of like a gauge or an escape point for what's overflowing out of your heart. And so if you're saying things that you ought not, maybe you ought to check your heart. That's a good teaching. But you know what? God's Holy Spirit, HS for Holy Spirit, shines on our lives and turns on the light, helps us understand these kinds of things. And you called on the name of the Lord yourself. Many or most, if not all, of the people in this room, you've called on the name of the Lord. What did you have to do? You had to open your mouth. There was something at work in your heart when you were being convicted of your sins. And you were being drawn to the Savior, the merciful one, who was having mercy on your life and drawing you to himself. What were you inclined to do? Say something with your mouth, even though you didn't even say it right the first time. You didn't say it like the preacher said, do it. You were just out in your automobile at the end of your rope, realizing you didn't want to go to hell and you wanted to go to heaven. And you said, whoever you are, God 
crying out loud, I don't know what this is all about. Are you even there? Uh, I need your help. You prayed some kind of prayer like that, incredibly unorthodox. But you know what? That's not the point. The point was you just opened your mouth at levels of faith, even though they were low levels, and you opened up your mouth, and what did Jesus then do? He saved you. He drew you to himself. He started working great things in your life. That's what happened. And by the way, that's what happened. When you open your mouth, where do those words go? Now, I want you, I'm going to throw another angle in here. I'm going to throw a verse. Hebrews 3.1. Jesus Christ is called the high priest of our confession. Or the high, the, your King James says the high priest of our profession. It's the same word. It's the Greek word homo logeo. Homo means same, and logeo comes from logos, which means God's word, God's same words. So in other words, Jesus is the high priest. What's a high priest do? He mediates. He's the go-between. He makes sure that whatever you're confessing to him, he's getting it back to heaven. Remember Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before the Father which is in heaven. And in another gospel, he said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before the angels which are in heaven. So not only, everything you return or you say, Jesus is committed to getting it back to God and even to the angels. All of heaven, here's what you got to say here on earth. Amen. Now, how many of you believe that when you open your mouth in prayer, and after all, you said that big word, amen, at the end of your prayer, what does that mean? So be it. Now, was that just a way to say over and out, good buddy? <laughs> Prayer over. Go, let's go on and do something else. Why did you say amen? Why is it incredibly apropos to say amen? Because Jesus asks us to believe what we pray or say comes to pass. He asks us. You don't pray and say, well, you know, that'll probably never happen. How dare you be that? have, have that kind of attitude? Because the attitude of Jesus is pray for something and get it. Go after something in prayer. And I'm not here to explain to you why certain prayers don't seem to be answered. I'm not asking you to get focused on that. I'm asking you to focus on what your responsibilities are anyway. What I call the audacities of Jesus. I mean, how dare Jesus say that you can pray for something and get it? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done. Until you herein is the father glorified that you bear much fruit. Oh, there's an interesting concept. Fruit, another botanical terminology to help us understand that we are plants and we should be bearing fruit, the fruit of answered prayer. Well, when you open your mouth and you say amen and you say God heal me and you say God provide for me, say God show your power to my teenager, when you pray those kinds of prayers, what goes in? You've got to believe that you have received, right? According to Mark 11.24, why CO2 comes in, of course. That would be confession outcome <laughs> times two because God does exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think according to the power that works within you. Well, now, am I wrong? Because what, is, what happens with a plant? When water vapor goes out simultaneously... It doesn't wait around for the carbon dioxide to show up. The carbon dioxide's already there. The, simultaneously, water, carbon dioxide. 
They, there's an exit of one molecule and the entrance of another simultaneously. That's the way you and I should be praying. That's the attitude we should have. Matter of fact, Jesus said, the word of faith is so near you. It's in your heart and in your mouth. That is the word of faith, which we preach. It's so near you. How close is carbon dioxide to plants? Very near. The minute it opens up and water vapor goes out, carbon dioxide. It's, a, it's the simultaneous exchange. That's what prayer is all about. It's a simultaneous exchange of God's word in faith and the entrance of the answer to your prayer. Okay? Now, and if you think that sounded incredibly simple, I meant it to be simple, and I know life is more complex than that, but at the same time, every plant out there, ladies and gentlemen, in spite of the storms it goes through, opens its stoma every day. Every day, all day long. Okay? So carbon dioxide, or in this case, confession outcome, starts coming into your life. That's why we want you to pray. That's why your pastor wants you to pray. He just wants some fruit to happen. Not so that you've got, not so that we can bask in some testimony, though we appreciate the testimony of God's working in your life. We want to see, we want to see a testimony to the glory of God. So we can tell other people there's some fruit happening here at this church among all these Christians. I mean, people aren't interested in fruitless places. They're not. We need fruit for the glory of God. So there you have it. Verse 11. How many of you want to know the Greek word? I'm going to give you a Greek word. A Greek word for mouth. How many in the room would like to know the Greek word for mouth? Please raise your hand. I need some encouragement. Thank you very much. Here it is. I'm going to spell it for you. Would you like for me to spell it? I would be glad to spell it for you one letter at a time. The Greek word for mouth. S. Are you sure you want this? S-T-O-M-A. That's the Greek word for mouth. Stoma. Now, everyone in the room is tickled that we only have one. Because it has gotten us in enough trouble as it is. We don't have thousands like the leaves do. But to me, more that's all the more reason the Lord put thousands in leaves because I think he's got a message to give to us humans on how we should live. Matter of fact, if you, show, if you should live that way, but you're not living that way, then you're guilty of not living according to God's ways. And if you're guilty, I think you should go to court and we should have a trial. And you're on trial. I'm on trial. We're all on trial. And we should have witnesses come forward, don't you think, and witness against us. I mean, that's what the prosecuting attorney would probably do. He would find witnesses to try to convict you of what you did wrong or how you're not living. Matter of fact, the Bible says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants may live. That's Deuteronomy 30, 19. It's the verse that got my wife uh, the kind of testimony she's got these days when the doctor was telling her, you need to either protect your eyes or get rid of your baby in your womb. And she said, based on that verse, I choose my baby. And the doctor stood up, shut his folder, and says, what a foolish decision, and walked out the room. 
He tried to bully her toward a compromised decision. And because she was and because she had God's word in her heart at that moment, she was able to respond appropriately and please God, and in spite of loss of eyesight for 30 years and our whole family dealing with it, she now has a testimony that takes her literally around the country because people want to hear the message that God has worked in her life. And she's, she's seeing people's lives transformed. But let's get back to the trial. You're on trial, I'm on trial, so I think some witnesses ought to be called forward. So let's call some witnesses forward that I'm pretty familiar with from a farm that I was kind of half raised on um, in Illinois. A lot of corn in Illinois, so I think we should call the corn plant forward to the witness stand. Don't you think so? Let's call the corn plant forward. Mr. Corn Plant, would you please come forward and take the stand? Thank you very much. Now, how is it, Mr. Corn Plant, that you live? How is it that you change your world? Well, I drink in the water early on, germinated from a seed, and immediately I've got stomata growing on my little blade coming up out of the ground. And I drink in the water, and the sun shines on my guard cells, pinches them, and my stomata open. Water vapor escapes me, and I do that for about six months, every day of my life when I get the opportunity. And carbon dioxide comes in and mixes with the, the chlorophyll, and, and the glucose happens, and I grow corn. You like corn? I give corn to the world, and I put fuel in your tank because of it, and I put sweeteners in your your colas, and I change my world. Thank you, Mr. Corn Plant. We appreciate that. Appreciate the witness. I'd like to call the soybean plant forward. Mr. Soybean, would you please tell us how you change your world? You know, it's much like the corn plant, but you know, I I drink in water and all day long, and the sun shines on my stoma open. Water escapes me. Carbon dioxide comes in. I grow, and soybeans come on me, and the farmer comes and gets me at the end of the season, and I make a difference in my world. You know what soybeans do to, it, to this world? They not only put fuel in your tank and bacon bits on your salad. Yeah, those are soybeans. But all kinds of things soybeans are made of. But then let's call the blue bonnets of Texas forward. And you know what we hear from their testimony? is that they live and they make a difference in their world the same way. And not so many weeks down the road, you and I, not out on the side of the highway picking them because that's illegal, but we'll have pictures with our kids and enjoy the beauty of blue bonnets. And their testimony is that they just keep opening their stomata, carbon dioxide comes in, and they change their world. And we could call the oak tree and the rose bush and the very grass in your backyard to the witness stand, and they've all got something to say, and they change their world. We call the average Christian up who's on trial, and we say, okay, speak for yourself, buddy. What do you got to say? And he says this. Well, you know, I've got a Bible. It's a big one. It's on my coffee table at home where everybody can see it. And when we're out in public, we pray grace on our food most of the time. And we go to church most of the time too. And I even tithe most of the time. Okay. Anything else? No, that's about it.
you may step down. What's going to be the conclusion of the judge? With all the witnesses against him, and then he gets up and speaks for himself, you and I get and speak up for ourselves. You know what? We're guilty. This is not a condemnation. This is a conviction point. Because in a very real way, ladies and gentlemen, this is Christianity 101. Christianity 101. Because every person in this room got saved. Because there was a work of God in your heart. You opened your mouth sometimes in very unorthodox manner and you called on the name of the Lord. Jesus, whoever you are, save me, whatever that means, come and help me. And he did. Because there was something flowing out of your heart and something came into your life and caused you to be born again. But ladies and gentlemen, we need to give ourselves fully to this process. And it is a process. It's not magic. Did I, do you hear me say that? It's not magic. If I could just say all the right words, you know, pray five hours a day. I'm asking you, quit it. Quit it. Quit it. Don't get religious on me. I'll gag. Just start acting like the plants. Mm-hmm. Just start acting like the plants. I'm about to leave. I'm about done. You may never see me again. I hope that's not the case. I hope we can see each other again. I'm grateful for being invited here through the, through the years. But if you never see me again, everything I said up to this point, somebody else is going to take over. Well, that would be Pastor Allen, right? No. I haven't told him what I was going to tell you. He can check it out when he gets home. You, and you probably will have to draw the drawing for him. He, he's, getting, he get, he's getting the audio, but you're probably going to have to do the drawing. I've, I've actually commissioned some entities to come in and drive this message home. Because I'm leaving. I can't go home with you. Okay? I've kind of got to work this thing out myself. I've got to live, you know, I've got to live according to these standards. So I'm going home, going back to my wife and my kids. I live 66 miles from here. That's what was on my speedometer today. So that's kind of a long way. It's kind of impractical for us to have an ongoing relationship. So I'm gonna, I've spoken to some entities, and I've said, would you guys take it from here? This congregation really needs to be pushed in this area. I was talking to the trees and plants on the way here. Those are my buddies. I said, would you guys uh, continue to uh, keep the pressure on, would you? And they said, no problem. So the next time you're writing down 377, and you see on a windy day a set of trees or some crops over there kind of doing this. <laughs> They're talking to you. They're saying, we live a certain way, designed by the Creator. We're calling you to that same level, that same model. And some of you don't have to go any further than into your front yard. And I know te Texas grass doesn't grow real good in the summertime. But if you keep them watered, you'll keep those plants talking. And they'll, and, but who are they talking to? Remember who they're a witness against? You and me. The next time you see a sign that says, keep off the grass. 
you think there's a conspiracy here. Somebody is getting those grass, that grass to, to talk to me. Some of you will get this so much, you'll be out mowing your grass crying. Oh, God, I don't mean to hurt these little babies. I'm getting silly, aren't I? But is my point well taken? I'm going to give new meaning to the term tree hugger. Because I can see it now. They've come over to your, to the baby shower. And Papa, is that what they call you? Papa? He really didn't leave because of the baby shower. He went out to the backyard and he's hugging a tree. They're going to have the baby shower in there. He's out there, Mr. Tree. Thank you so much for the standard you set for me. All of you ought to just go out and hug a tree today. Why? Because they're a model. They're a witness. For They opened their mouth. I ought to open mine. I ought to, they drank in water. I should drink in God's word. I should let it so be a part of me that it overflows in declarations and prayers and confessions. On behalf of those that are sick and 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 under and in a hurting, struggling situation, I need to call on the Lord and bring God's word to bear into a situation. And guess what? God watches over His word to perform it. And by the way, that verse eleven, what does it say? It says, "My word will not return to me void." Now, wait a minute. Most people think the word "void" is the key word. That's not the key word. It's an important word. It's not the key word because in both verses ten and eleven, the word "return" is there. If it doesn't return. We don't have to argue about void. It's as good as void. It's asking if the, if the word of God is void is like asking, is water wet? Dumb question. P- pardon me, I, I, I got it all mixed up. Is water dry? That's what I meant to say. No, it's wet. So if I ask if water is dry and I ask if the word of God is void, same dumb question. Okay, it's not void. But listen closely, it's as good as void if you don't get it back to God. You decide to shut up, you decide to, all the devil wants to do is just keep you quiet. Just just be quiet, don't pray, don't declare the word of God, don't fill yourself up to overflowing with his word. And so it's as good as void, because what is it? It's like the peony bush I painted. Full of water. And dying. Full of water and dying. I think that's what some Christians are. We know a whole bunch about God's word, but we don't open up in prayer and believe that God's going to make a difference in our world. By the return of that word to him, he's waiting for it to return. Does he do a lot of things without us? Yes, but I wonder how much more he could do with us if we would cooperate with him. How many of you want to cooperate with God? Let's pray. Lord Jesus... Help us all to cooperate by filling ourselves up to overflowing with the word of God. Lord, help us to open our mouths in in declaration and confession and proclamation to you and declare the word of God over our, our people, over our needs, over the situation, and let there be fruit through these plantings that are here at Generations Church. Let there be fruit in answered prayer in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do a great work, God. And help us to be fully in cooperation with you in this matter. And those plants around us that witness against us, 
and who are a model for us, help us to see, see it exactly that way. They are model. They do it every day, all day long, and they see results in their world. They deliver results. Help us to deliver results as we declare the word of God in prayer. Help us to be people of prayer, declaring your word in our generation. In Jesus' name. Everybody stand up with me, please. I'm going to pray one more last prayer, and I'm going to ask if there's anybody in this room who at all has gotten to the point where you thought, maybe I told you enough truth that you need to, re- you need to reach out and say, yes, he said enough truth today that I need to somehow own this. I need to take it home with me. I need to apply it to my own life. I'm going to ask that you do that just now. Let's all pray again. Lord, everybody who's owning this, in Jesus' name, I ask you to give them an ability right now, a grace from God, not some kind of legalistic empowerment, but a sense that God's at work in their lives. If there's anybody in this room who's owning this, I'm asking them to raise their hand in the name of the Lord and say, God, help me, help me, help me to do what I need to do to open my heart and my mouth and declare the word of God in my generation so that I could bring fruit to bear upon this generation as well. Thank you, Lord, for what you do. For those who have raised their hands, give them special graces and understanding of this process so that the next time they look at a plant, literally, they will see a model of how they too must live. I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. 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 I'm going to turn it back to Brother Greg.